1: What's good, y'all? Welcome to In the Deep, a deep and dynasty-focused fantasy baseball podcast. My name is Jordan White, and I'm joined here once again by my co-host, Christopher Weber. Schwebzi. how you doing
2: tonight? Hi, friends. It is a good night. We've got a great guest, and we are ready to finally, finally talk about some dynasty stuff. We've kind of been touching mostly on your deeper leagues before with just a little bit of prospect dabbling, but we're, we're ready to really like dive in today. And here to help us tonight with that,
1: and critiquing our Dynasty team that we just drafted which with some PitcherList community members, is the host of the Dynasty's Child podcast over at Dynasty Guru and a contributor at both Over the Monster and PitcherList, prospect aficionado and baker extraordinaire, Shelly Verstrait. <laughs> Shelly, how's it going?
3: Um, It's going great. I, I love how you put in the Baker uh, part of that, because honestly, um... I, I'm i glad that the fantasy baseball community appreciates my baking hobby.
1: The number of times that we have unabashedly just like lusted over everything you've baked <laughs> in the Food Channel and the PL Plus Discord has been innumerable. So, I mean, we're all big fans of that, obviously. Uh, has there been anything lately that you've baked that you've really, really liked?
3: Uh, yeah. Um I, I mean my baking has been a, a a tad bit lax here with kind of but I've been working from home and I haven't been able to kind of give my baked goods out to my coworkers. Um but there has been one sourdough bread. I know Schwebsey. I, I know you, Chris. Yeah, yeah, you've been dreaming about it. it's like that chai spice apple sourdough. They, you know, just, I, I just like, I'm just going to try to do this thing. And it, and it really worked. My husband was just, just basically devoured the, that loaf. Um, yeah. That's been my kind of my, my latest baked good that I've been really proud of.
1: Was that a first attempt or like, was that like something that you already kind of had worked out?
3: That was a first attempt. I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to go for this thing. I think this is going to work out. And again, I I still need to work on it, but it was, oh, uh, Rudy like totally devoured it. And it was so good. And I was pleasantly surprised how it turned out first go round.
2: I have a few like food and drink trigger words that immediately make my mouth start watering. It's like, it's like my Pavlovian thing. And apple and chai are two of them. So yes. just, that, sound, that sounded amazing.
3: Yeah, honestly, it made my house smell amazing as well. And I just, I I just loved it. I loved it. It was, it was glorious.
1: And is there anything else that you are hoping to bake at some point or anything that you've been trying to make that you haven't quite perfected yet that you really want to get a handle on?
3: Uh, yes, it is macarons. You know, Ooh, the, the yeah. yes, um, I have tried them a couple of times, it has not gone well, and my husband uh, Rudy really always knows that I'm trying to attempt something because, um, usually when something's not going well, there's a lot of French words we call them French words a lot of ah, curse yeah. words that come out of the kitchen um, and there have been many curse words when I'm doing macarons so I need to get the courage up to do them again and I just love them because they're so pretty and they taste amazing and they're yeah, yeah it's it's definitely macarons
1: They're definitely like a very visually appeasing food and yes, yes. also taste amazing uh Right at the top, let's just make sure that you can get out your social handles and then everything else that you do. I know I listed some of the stuff off earlier, but feel free to throw out your Twitter handle and stuff like that and where we can find you.
3: Oh, uh, yeah, you can definitely find me on Twitter at Shelly V underscore um, 643. I usually promote all of my my work over there, um, but I typically write at uh, the Dynasty Guru, my um, podcast over there, and uh, Pitcher List. Those are the two places you can find me. Um, and again, you could just check out my Twitter for all of my baseball works and then Frenchie photos as well.
1: The stuff that we all love and adore
2: seeing yeah. in the pets channel.
3: <laughs> yes.
2: It's really like, it's, it's Taylor, it's a Twitter account tailor-made for me. I love it. Just dogs and baked goods. Just more of it, please.
3: Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you enjoy it. Cause that's, I'm just like, yeah, I just put stuff I love there and I'm glad other people love it as well.
1: Excellent, yeah. So what we kind of want to do today is go through a recent Dynasty draft that Schwebz and I did. We had to start up with some fellow Pitcherless Plus community members and Pitcherless staffers. And we want to talk about draft strategy and see if we made any mistakes in Shelly's eyes, of course. Uh, And hopefully she doesn't just walk out mid-recording in disgust at how badly we did. (laughs) So... Just some important notes before we go over exactly what we did in this draft. It is an on-base percentage instead of batting average. And then there's also save holds instead of saves. Another interesting one is that we did quality starts plus wins instead of just wins, Hmm. which was an interesting one. I don't know how we came to that decision exactly, but somewhat interesting to take into account when we are identifying how well or poorly we did in this draft. And then before we actually get into it, we wanted to pick your brain a bit about general dynasty strategy. So for you, when you're going into a draft, do you generally have a strategy as far as going prospect heavy or win now, somewhat of a blend? And do you find yourself staying pretty rigid in your idea of what you're going to do? Or do you feel like you have to be pretty fluid when you're drafting?
3: Uh, Yeah, for me, when it's a uh, startup dynasty, um, I typically, I don't. I, t- I typically don't play for year one, um, just because if you play for year one, you kind of happen to draft older players. Um, so I try to play for years two, three, four, five. So that that that's typically how I start out a draft. But once I get in into the draft, I see how everyone else is going. And then try to, you know, zig while other people are zagging. Like if I see a lot of people are trying to do the same thing that I am, I try to adjust, see where I can, you know, play for maybe a little bit further into the, uh, you know, the 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 window. Or maybe if I see a lot of people are just trying to go for year one, year two, I'm like, okay, I'll take the prospect route. So. I again, like I try to play for year two, year three, but if I see other people are trying to do the same thing, I zig when other people are zagging.
2: And
1: kind of building off of that, too, does your draft position really affect your strategy there at all? Like, obviously, like when you're in the top three, there's going to be like the three pretty obvious choices where it's going to be basically Tatis, Acuna, and Juan Soto. I feel like the three clear ones that you'd pick in the top three for a dynasty startup, right? So. Mm -hmm. If you're not in that top three, like, does that affect uh, how you plan to attack a draft initially, or, or also, and then out of those top three, which one would you prefer to take if you were in the number one spot?
3: Um, as Soto snores in the background, uh, my <laughs> yeah. number one choice, if I had the number one pick, it will definitely be Juan Soto. Um, uh, just because I think that his skill set is just, I mean, he I, he's just. He's kind of like another Mike Trout, maybe not Mike Trout because Mike Trout is Mike Trout. Uh, but I just think that his skill set is just going to age very gracefully versus maybe a Cunha Junior or Tatis, where their speed might start to kind of tail off in a couple years. Um, but say if I'm drafting like in the back half or even like you know the the tail end of a draft. Uh, No, my my draft strategy doesn't change. Um, I, again, like I try to just try to get the guys who are maybe, you know, 23, 25, like who could still be competitive and who I would still want to roster, you know, in the upper tiers of uh, the upper rounds of a draft. Yeah. So years two, year three. So, yeah, my draft position does not uh, dictate how my strategy goes.
2: So in the first, the first round of our draft, I, yeah. um, I was immediately upset. And, uh, I, I, I thought that we messed up like right away in round one, which is never, ever a good feeling to, uh, <laughs> to have in round two where you're like, well, I already blew it because <laughs> it's like, I, I got my, I, I had my, my Mets colored glasses on. We were, yeah. we were pick number seven, I think it was. Yes. And I, I was like, well, Degrom's there, getting Degrom. When, like, immediately after that, I'm like, wait, I would much rather have Shane Bieber in a dynasty. Yeah. So that, that was that. Like, I feel like we came, we started right off with a mistake there.
3: Uh, yeah, yeah, you did. Um, again, <laughs> I, I, I love Degrom. I always call him DeGroats. Like, he is the pitcher that I, as soon as I see him. On my MLB TV. I totally want to watch him because I love him so much. But yeah, you 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 kinda of messed up there. You probably should have taken uh, uh Bieber, maybe even like Trey Turner, Kylie Bellinger ahead of him. Uh just because of uh DeGrom's age and stuff like that, I definitely would have taken some other players um ahead of him. Again, I I love DeGrom, but and maybe for the next couple of years, it could be good, but I would have taken someone else there.
2: For sure. Totally That's, understandable. So we also wanted to ask, so this is, it's funny how we're we're in this weird juxtaposition of we have more information at our fingertips than ever before, but also with the way baseball handled the pandemic and how they handled the minor leagues specifically during the pandemic, we have less information than almost ever before when it comes to these young players at least the the young guys who were in their first year. So we were wondering how you've handled this sudden like being cut off from, you know, recent prospect video and like information that doesn't come directly from the teams.
3: Uh yeah, that that has been uh really difficult because there have been very few teams that have given any type of video um i know the red sox they basically streamed all of their alternate site games which was amazing um and then there have been a few teams that have like put out clips um i know seattle some things um and some other teams but there are like some really interesting teams like the padres who just didn't do anything Um, So basically, I've been just kind of holding par with those particular teams that I haven't been able to see video. I know that scouts really haven't been able to get in. uh, Because, I mean, if you just hear from a team that's like, yeah, Player X has been doing well, but it's like, okay, so the team is putting that out there. I'm like, okay, I'm glad he's doing well. I guess I'll just keep him the same. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it. Yeah, this year has just been, like, really hard to really kind of move players up and down. Um, unless you know of a tangible change, you've seen a change, whatever, maybe there's an injury. It's just been a cluster F, essentially. Fluster sure. heck. Yeah. So
2: we, we, we call that here at PitcherList, it's a cluster heck.
3: A cluster heck, exactly.
2: Trying to help you with your French words.
3: Exactly. I, <laughs> I, I need help on those.
2: <laughs> the, the rare, you're welcome, Nick, instead of the sorry, Nick. <laughs> Another thing to kind of
1: point out about that too, just to follow up is like, from what I understand, te- there were certain teams that agreed to share video with each other mm-hmm. from the alternate sites. And I think only 20 of the 30 teams agreed to do it. So I feel like there's like 10 teams who just wanted to keep their hands close to their chests and keep everything hidden, which I thought was very, very strange. Um, So again, like even MLB teams to a certain extent don't know what the hell is going on, which I found very interesting too. So it's not even like there's any chatter around the league about certain uh, farms. So
3: Yeah, it's just, it's like really weird. And like one of those teams were the Padres, right? And they were a, a team that was like, obviously, in the all-season, they make a lot they made a lot of, you know, moves to really, you know, really fortify their uh, starting rotation. So, I guess maybe some teams weren't really put off by that. I don't know, but I, I I was just kind of like, why wouldn't San Diego put out video for the public, but then also they just weren't putting it out for teams as well. It's kind of like What's going on there?
1: Yeah. It's curious to me why many teams would just trust and take them at their word with everything that whatever development did happen during the off season, like, to, I mean, especially when you have someone like Mackenzie Gore who allegedly had a velo drop off mm-hmm. at the alternate side too. Like, can we, how much can we believe that? And then is it actually fixed now? It's just hard to ascertain exactly what's going on. And just like all of that added uncertainty has made this really, really weird. Um, I know this is going to be a harder question to answer too because of this lack of information. Mm-hmm. But are there any players that you're planting your flag in and are higher on than colleagues in the following categories, both prospects and post hype prospects? Is there anyone that you're super high on in comparison to everyone else?
3: Um, I don't know if maybe I don't know if I'm higher than anyone else, but just because Joe Adele had a really bad debut. Um, uh, don't poo-poo on him. Um, uh, he obviously was not ready for the major leagues last year. And I mean, I just remember seeing just kind of like some Twitter talk between people like, oh, like, is Joe Adele wash up? Should I, you know, trade him away in my Dynasty League? No, no, you really shouldn't. Uh, the dude is going to be a beast. Uh, just, just give him a little bit of time. Um, he's just, just wasn't ready yet. And uh, maybe a, a prospect who really didn't get um, a lot of time or um, a lot of – oh, maybe someone who I'm higher on. Uh, I, he's kind of listed as a shortstop, but I, I think he should be a third baseman. Um, Jordan Groshans mm, um, yeah. in the Toronto system. Um, he missed – unfortunately, he missed – some a lot of time in 2019 because of an injury to his foot foot ankle um but i i have kind of like when i've been looking at like a lot of lists i've noticed that i'm higher on him i i i love the dude i love the hit tool i love the power potential he's super young i i'm just i'm just super into a lot of the blue jays prospects um And he, I think that he's going to shoot up like really, really fast. So Jordan Gershans is my guy.
2: I like that one a lot. I was so sure that the one of of your guys was going to be Carter (laughs) Keeboom. I I just finished talking him up on our corner, on our really deep corner infield edition. Yeah. And I just, I, I love the plate approach in the minors. And it's the plate approach started to show itself last year even if the production didn't really follow. So I've, I'm kind of hoping that the fact that he's at least still got that approach is going to mean good things in the future. And once he stops getting jerked around by the, uh, by the nationals, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I like the Joe Adele pick also.
3: Yeah. I, 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 I love the, the Carter Keyboom uh pick as well, because I just, I just, I just really hope that the nationals stop, like you said, jerking him around. Um, I, I've heard really good things uh, this spring. Um, he had uh, LASIK surgery in the off season, which you know that that's something interesting there. The, the The hitting coach is like, yeah, there's like some really good things, and he's had a really good spring so far. So if Carter Keyboom can like really become a thing, I I will never quit that man. <laughs> I, I I love him. Um, I just I I yeah. I, I love that Carter Kim. I, oh, you you said Carter Kim So now my I have like heart emojis in my eyes. I, I love that dude.
1: He's less best shape of his life and more best sight of his life. I would say exactly.
3: at this point. <laughs> exactly. He's <pretty> good. So
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd be I would be interested to see how long that's been an issue for him. I would love to hear someone speak on that and say how long. Like, who knows? Maybe that was all he needed. Maybe he just wasn't
2: seeing the ball as well. Literally um
0: yeah
1: hard to it's say it's really yeah.
2: interesting that like a, a prospect who's arguably one of his best qualities was you know how well he appeared to see the ball wound up needing lasik but by the way i'm also i'm also 100 going to be editing this video to give shelly heart emojis for the last few <laughs> minutes
3: please yeah they would it like comes back to like the lasik thing um especially with like, with the nationals um Oh, he was the catcher, uh, Wilson Ramos, uh, prior to like his, his breakout, like he had LASIK surgery and then just like totally went gangbusters for, I guess, a catcher specifically, but he just like totally went off um, and hit extremely well. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm totally, whenever I see anyone get the LASIK surgery, I'm just like, okay, I'll pay more attention.
1: And hopefully he will too with his better eyes. Exactly. Yeah. And then the last thing we're going to talk about before we really dive deep into our picks, you are a Red Sox fan. So we have to ask you about some Red Sox
2: prospects,
1: notably two people that I'm really, really into personally, uh, Bobby Dalbeck, who we have affectionately named Bobby Dingers, Love it. And Tanner Houck, who is a personal favorite of mine specifically, as I wrote an article about him. I really love the movement profile on his pitches. What do you think about those two and then any other Boston prospects that you want to hype up right now?
3: Uh yeah, I I these are very interesting guys. Um and I don't know how I feel about either of them. <laughs> um basically because of Bobby Dingers. Uh, I mean, I've loved what he's done so far in spring. He's literally lived up lived up to his name of Bobby Dingers. Um it's just the The strikeout rates right, that we saw um, you know last year is very concerning. Um, and it he has a little bit of trouble getting up to the higher fastballs. Um, so i'm I'm a, a bit concerned, but I'm okay with, you know having uh, Bobby Dahlbeck man first base prior. Uh, to uh, Tristan Casas making his debut. I I am a humongous Tristan Casas fan. Uh, but, you know, for, for this year and maybe maybe halfway through next year, I'm totally fine with Bobby Dalbeck, you know, kind of going, uh, you know, playing first base. Uh, Tanner Halk, Oh, boy.
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> After yesterday, I felt a little bit less hot on him. It was pretty rough, but...
3: Yeah, yeah. Tanner Halk, like... That was actually a guy who like totally shocked me last year uh, when he was called up to make his debut. I'm just like, I kind of had a idea of what I thought Tana Hauk was, which was basically a, you know, two pitch reliever. Right. Yeah. Um, And then he goes out and just does what he does uh, for like what, three or four starts. I'm just like, Oh, there's actually something here. I still don't know what I feel about him. Uh, and I don't know if he's going to have an, um, an everyday, you know, he, I don't think he's going to be in starting rotation to start the the, the season. Uh, just because, uh, basically because of Nick Pavetta and how Nick Pavetta doesn't have any options and Tana Hauck does. Um, so I don't think he's going to have a starting spot in the rotation to start the year. Maybe something happens. Um, halfway through, uh, but I still, I'm still a little bit hesitant on how Tanahawk is going to perform.
1: Yeah, he's someone that I hyped up quite a bit in the article that I wrote about him. And the sinker is an insane seam shifted wake pitch, like, has some mm-hmm. of the most movement out. Of, I think he has the highest movement or seam shifted wake effect on any sinker in the entire league last year. And then the three starts, like you said, were really, really good. He what? He pitched against the Rays the Yankees, and then there was another playoff team there, uh, the Braves. Mm-hmm. And he only gave up one run, and that was a, on a home run against the Braves. Just looked really, really good. He added, so they tried to make him throw a four-seam pass ball on the minors, which didn't pan out so well. He went back to throwing his sinker-slider combo, which worked out really well for him. Then he got back into a groove, and then eventually making his debut last year. He's been trying to find like a changeup or a splitter for a few years now and just hasn't been able to do it. And I think it's really pivotal that he finds that really good third offering before he actually is a viable starting rotation option. Mm-hmm. But he's someone that I have a, a lot of hope for because that sinker and that slider are just insane. And then I know that you touched on Tristan Casas very briefly. Would you like to hype up Tristan any more?
3: <laughs> I want to hype Tristan as much as I can. Uh, I, I absolutely... I absolutely love this dude. I think that he is going to be kind of like an Anthony Rizzo type, just like a super solid first base guy who can just make a lot of contact, get a good average, good amount of power, may probably not steal so much, but just be a super reliable second round, third round, you know, 12 team, 15 team redraft guy consistently. For a while, I just I just absolutely love this dude. And another guy who is like really risen um, and probably will make his debut this year is Jaren Duran. Yes, yes, yes. I love Jaren uh, Duran. Yes, uh, just what I, I mean. I like I've been a Jaren Duran fan fan uh, <laughs> for for a while, and I kind of like. Was like, maybe I'm just a little bit too excited, like, when he made his debut in Double A in 2019, and he just kind of, like, really scuffled. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm just, like, too hyped it. But he made a swing change, right? So he brought his hands down just, like, a little bit to be maybe, like, a little bit more open. Mm -hmm. And the power just it just went off the charts and he has been going gangbusters at the alternate site last year in the Caribbean league uh, in spring training this year. He uh, he's just gone gangbusters and just keep an eye out on him. And when you hear some rumblings and you redraft league that Jaren Duran might be called up, you might want to put in some fab dollars because the dude is just He's going to be He's gonna be great.
1: Yeah, he's someone that I've had an eye on quite a bit recently, especially in my Dynasty Leagues. Uh, he's actually someone that I'm hoping to nab for like a dollar in an auto new auction, hopefully, if no one's too hot on him in one of my auto new leagues yet. So fingers nice. crossed for that. But I think it's finally time for us to get into the scalding criticisms
2: that will be Shelly's takes on our team. Uh, Schwebs, <laughs> do you want to take it from here? Sure. I mentioned our snafu in the first round, but there was another one. We mentioned how Juan Soto might be like far and away, like the pick for number one overall in a dynasty draft, especially in OBP league. Now that's exactly what this was, a dynasty OBP startup. And Soto didn't go until number three. How do you feel about that?
3: It makes me sick inside. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I just, I just, I mean, even if it was just like a regular average dynasty startup, I still don't understand why Soto didn't go number one. So kudos to the number three team. You got a gift at number Imagine. three. Yeah. Get one Soto at number three. Bravo.
2: So we, we brought Shelly on to roast us. And what she will wind up doing is roast <laughs> Christopher Reeves and Alex Tran, who are both Pitcherless community members and moderators. So I hope you two <laughs> are listening to receive what is coming. <laughs> uh, uh, I and uh, as I said, we we wound up going with Degrom in the first round, which was full of immediate regret. And I hate feeling regret about Jacob Degrom, but you know, there's there's those f- the fandom versus actual good strategy dueling there. uh And then I think where things started to get more interesting is in the second round. Basically, every expert league redraft this year, we saw a huge pitcher run in the second round. Because everyone like there were a huge number of teams this year going pocket aces, really popular strategy. Whereas here in in this dynasty startup, we had exactly two pitchers go in the second round. So we had <laughs> Giolito go and Bueller go, which are guys that you'd expect. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised we didn't see Gallon and Flaherty go higher, or even Castillo. But basically, what, what happened in this second round? is you had Wander Franco go, what was that, number 22 overall? And Luis Robert went number 16 overall. So how, mm-hmm. how do you feel about those two, the former number one and current number one prospect, being pushed up so high?
3: Um, I'm okay with it. Honestly, I would rather have Franco than uh, Robert. Um, I Again, I like the upside of... Robert, I just don't like the volatility of him, and I would rather have Wander Franco there. Honestly, out of those two, I would rather have Jared Kelnick.
2: Ooh,
1: I was just about to ask you that too. If you would rather have Wander Franco or Jared Kelnick, um, yeah, kind of elaborate on that for us.
3: Um, I think that Kelnick is the better fantasy player. Uh, I think that he will be the more consistent drafted in a redraft like i think that he would be drafted higher than uh franco year over year like there would be do you understand what i'm saying uh okay um but if in real life i'd rather have franco because he you know plays up the middle and all that i just think that kalenic is going to have more higher mvp-esque season than franco is
2: I think I, I, just looked, I just looked up Wander Franco's prospect reports, saw that he was born in 2001 and threw up in my mouth a little bit because yeah. people, people born <laughs> in 2001 should not be knocking on the door of the major leagues, if you ask me. But no, the, the reason I was looking him up is because I, uh, I wanted to see the prospect, the, sorry, the, the speed grades they were getting because we mm-hmm. all know how valuable speed is in fantasy. The first round is just full of guys who are going to get you both power and speed. And I think they, mm-hmm. I think Fangraff's pegged Kellenic with like a 55 speed and then Wanderer 60. Does stolen base potential have anything to do with how you value these guys?
3: Um, not really. Uh, yeah. I mean, I do think that Franco will probably get you more stolen bases, but I think uh, Kellenic's power upside just kind of puts him just a tad bit above um, me, uh, a tad bit above Franco, and, and just in my opinion.
2: How beautiful was it when Kalanick hit a dinger right as the announcer was saying how prospects will tell you when they're ready?
3: Um, it was a uh, chef's kiss where they, it was just, oh yes, that was perfect.
2: All right, so interestingly, Kalanick, we, we basically had a, after Franco, there was a run of like 15 picks or so where just no prospects went. The pitcher run happened in the third round here where we had Castillo, Flaherty, Woodruff, Gallon all go. Um, I actually am surprised Gallen didn't go a bit higher in a league like this because he's really young and has never done anything but succeed. And I don't see any reason for that to change. But then in the middle of the fourth, we saw Kalanick finally go right before us. Unfortunately, I wonder do, Jordan, do you think yeah. if Kalinic was there, we, we might've taken him. I think we were pretty zeroed in on I, I Jordan have. Alvarez. Uh, if Kelnick w- would have been
1: there, I would have probably entertained taking him at that point. So, I mean, I feel like that's a pretty huge
2: steal, honestly. Our, so our first actual prospect didn't come until like the seventh round.
1: Yeah, we kind of passed. We, we really her, and I think we, we we went more win now, definitely, with our start then. I think, obviously, more so than Shelly would have, uh, as she stated previously. But then I would say that there was a few other folks that kind of went the same route as us who, I mean... You look at someone, a team like Jake and Jake CPA here, which is a co-owned team. They didn't pick their first prospect until, let's see here, round 15. No, No, they they did go CJ Abrams in the ninth. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I missed Abrams there. Yeah, my bad. But still, uh, waiting until the ninth round to pick up your first prospect. Obviously, trying to do more of a win-now strategy. I do think that if Kelnick would have been there at our pick, I would have entertained taking him, though.
2: I think my problem in Dynasty Leagues... And I'm, I'm always trying to figure out like what my biases are and like where, where I can improve in my drafts. I think I try to have it all. Like we, we have just a, we have a real mix of like 30 year olds and then a, a lot of, basically everyone who isn't 30 is like a 22 or 24 year old. Like we, yes. we're kind of, we're kind of all over the place. I don't think we committed to any particular strategy. Um, and well, we did, we did go Flaherty. Flaherty, Flaherty as a young ace to kind of compliment Jake Degrom. I'm a little upset we didn't yes. go Gallon there.
3: Yeah, that's what I was about to ask. I'm like, why didn't you go Gallon? Oh, Flaherty. Yeah,
2: no, no, we 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 goofed. We we. Uh, I'm upset with our first three rounds now.
1: Sometimes you just, you know, you you're in the moment, you get a little bit lost in the sauce, and <laughs> you just make some mistakes.
2: Constantly lost in the sauce.
1: <laughs> I, I will say that when it comes to dynasty leagues. I don't actually do that many startup drafts. I usually end up taking over an already existing team. Cause that's what I love to do. I love to rebuild mm-hmm. teams that are absolute garbage from the ground up. That's kind of my specialty. Mm-hmm. I like to find value, whether it's through trades, um, playing fab and like getting people off the waiver wire, stuff like that. So I will say that this is a part of my game that needs work is like identifying the correct people to be taking in a darn dynasty startup. Um, I do also want to ask, since we did not get Jared Kelnick at that point in the fourth round, what do you think of our Jordan Alvarez pick? How do you feel about Jordan? I know that he's a very risky, risky pick.
3: Yeah, um, I, I'm not a fan. Um, there has been, um, you know, some podcasts that had like some uh, medical professionals on to talk about his knee situation and the you know, the, the doctors that come on are not scared. So maybe I shouldn't be scared. Um, but I still am. Like he had surgical repaired knees, like both of them. And he's going to be probably a DH. I, I I just don't know how much, you know, how many years he can be okay going forward.
2: Yeah. I don't love the idea of, a bad need DH taking up my dynasty utility for years. But I I think at, I I know Jordan Jordan is a big Jordan fan. I had him in my, my AL only home league for a long time. I was a big fan before he got too expensive. It's crazy that he got too expensive and he's like 23 and has, has like 400 career plate appearances. But I'm, I'm I'm such a sucker for these guys with great plate discipline. And like when you have massive power and like a 14% career walk rate, like I'm just so all over that. I get I I fall I fall in love with players like this. And the fact that he's only twenty-three, I just figured if the knees are okay, if it's it's a sizable if there. But like every time he's been healthy, he's basically been slow Mike Trout. And I just can't keep I, I can't forget that. So I'm I'm just a I'm I'm a sucker for that potential.
3: Yeah, yeah, I totally get it. Like when he's been on the field, he hasn't been bad. So you're totally correct. I'm just scared, but i, I mean, I don't think that you did wrong um, there. Yeah, just kind of look at the next couple of picks. I mean, maybe I would have taken Julio, but you know, going going Yordan over there—that's totally fine.
2: Yeah, the the Yordan pick I feel like is is magnified even more looking at the next like six picks because those are all those are all guys who are what like 26 and younger in Seager, Glaber, Alonso. Uh, and all of them have been pretty darn productive for their ages uh Seager you know had his career kind of messed up by injury but he looks to be back uh I I'm a Mets homer so I can't be relied on to you know <laughs> you know evaluate Alonso with uh you know accurately but uh Julio Rodriguez I think would have been another strong pick there but I think I think in the draft room at the time we were just we were just firmly like we can get our prospects later and I that that's a trap yeah. that I fall into a lot. It's like I, I have it in my head that like there that prospects are such a crapshoot that I'm always like, I'll just get my dart throws later. Well, I, well well I'll get I'll get the guys that I know are gonna perform now and I'll get my dart throws later. I I need to commit more. Like I need to I, I need to do what we were talking about before and I need to like plant my flag on guys and say like, you know, this is a top ten prospect who I love and I am going to get. We kind of did that with Adley in the sixth. What do you think? What do you, th- what do you mm-hmm. think of Adley uh, at this point in the draft? Sorry, seventh.
3: Yeah, I, I honestly, I love that pick for you guys. Uh, I think Adley is just, just gonna be like one of those set it and forget it catchers, um, uh, like a Buster Posey, maybe like a JT Realmuto, maybe not from a stolen base perspective, JT Realmuto, but just like a just the number one catcher for a for many, many years. So I absolutely love that pick. Um it's not really gonna help you obviously for this year, but going forward, that's gonna be just you just won't have to worry about catcher. Is this a two catcher league or one catcher?
2: One, I want to say. One catcher league. Confirmed. Yep.
3: Perfecto guys. Perfecto. You yeah, got a gold star. Uh yeah. Yay. Exactly. You got a gold star because I mean once he makes his debut, he's not going to leave there. He's going to be just an awesome guy that you won't have to worry about for years. So, bravo! Yeah.
2: And one thing that I am constantly patting myself on the back of, about is that in in this OBP catcher league, about five six rounds later, we snagged uh, Yasmani Grandal to kind of be the placeholder. So, I just think we're going. I think we're going to have above average production from the catcher position for the next however long, five ten years. Perfect. Uh, right before that Rutschman pick, we were like the riskiest boys in the world, I want to say, between Corbin Burns and Randy Orozarena, where the outcomes are, you know, maybe top two rounds next year or, mm-hmm. you know, falling out of the top hundred. So are you more willing to draft risk in a dynasty compared to a redraft?
3: Yes. Um, In a redraft league, I am very i take it very safe i try to get as much safe production um definitely in like the early parts of the draft and then maybe take some risky stuff at the end but i just want like guys who are not going to basically burn me um and the first part of the draft um but in a dynasty league um i'm willing to take more gambles like i'm willing to maybe take a prospect here prospect there that i really really love um, in the early rounds, just so I can have him um, on my team for a while.
2: Yeah, uh, the Corbin Burns was a nice uh, convergence of Homer pick for Jordan. The the you know him being relatively young and just having that ridiculous upside. There were there I yeah I, I think on top of being more willing to be risky in a dynasty, I'm also more willing to be a Homer because there's nothing I like more than having my boys lead my fantasy team to a championship. There's a, uh, there's a dynasty league that I commissioner for, I I commission for, I do the commissioning. And uh, (laughs) I, I went very out of my way to get like Conforto, Nimmo, OBP league, uh, Alonso and like Rosario in 2019. And those guys led me to a ship and to Grom. It was, it was beautiful. It was so fun. So I'm, I'm absolutely. And you know, if I'm going to have these guys year after year, after year, I think I gen. I think I go more out of my way to get the young guys from my own teams. Gotta have fun.
3: Exactly. I mean. Uh, I mean. Yeah. You might have. You know. Some what uh, jelly beans in a league, right? Um, but I mean, again, like what we do theoretically is for fun. Like, so y- if you want to have fun guys in your team, if you want to have guys that you root for, I'm I'm totally for it. I totally understand it. Totally understand it.
2: So. One thing that I thought was interesting is we had in the fifth round here, we had Andrew Vaughn go at the very start of the fifth, followed very quickly by Spencer Torkelson at the end of the fifth. How do you like, and in my head, these guys are kind of just like the same guy, just like a year apart developmentally. Maybe mm-hmm. Torkelson might be like a bit of a better hitter, but like, well, like, what, what do you think about those two? Is that the order you would take them in? Is it just about proximity?
3: Uh I get the proximity part, but I would still flip it. Um, I, I think that torque has Vaughn's hit tool, but torque has more power than Vaughn, so I would take the gamble uh, with torque over Vaughn. That being said, if you're drafting Andrew Vaughn, you're still going to just really, really enjoy that, that, that hit tool. Um, just I, I would just rather have torque.
2: Yeah, I think I think when that pick went off, I was pretty surprised at Vaughn going where he is, what where he did. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but he's probably going to play this year and if wh- whenever you got a guy who's tabbed with 60 plus power and hit like it's that's a pretty yeah. high floor prospect as far as baseball prospects go. Um, let's see. We wound up with uh, as our top pitching prospect, Matt Manning. And actually, in this like first group of 10 rounds, only like, let's say one, two, two pitching prospects went, which I was kind of surprised by. We actually, we actually only had three pitching prospects go total in the first like 150 picks, which felt really light to me in retrospect. Now I I know people like to avoid risk and there's nothing riskier than a baseball pitching prospect. But are are there some guys that you feel like absolutely should have snuck into that top 150 or gone considerably earlier? The only guys that did go are Gore, Manning, and Pearson.
3: Um, yeah. I mean, I guess guess maybe... I guess Ian Anderson and Sanchez are technically prospects. So, yeah. Uh, But out of the guys who haven't really made their debut really yet... um, other than Pearson. Um, I don't think so. I mean, that's kind of how I see it. Um, believe me, I, I love Matt Manning, but I'm, I'm a little bit concerned, um, with him. Um, because I mean, he didn't, uh, he didn't really finish pitching last year at the alternate site. Like he was shut down halfway through September, something like that with a forearm injury. And then in his spring training start, his velo was down a couple ticks, which scares me a bit. Um, but if if he is A-OK, I, I think that that is a really, really good pick because I do like uh, Matt Manning's stuff. Prior to last year, he had never been injured. Um, he throws a lot of strikes. Still needs to work on a few things, but I think that he could be a um, you know a good uh, number one, number two type starter. I just hope that he's healthy.
1: So between Manning, Scubel, and Mize, which of the three do you like the most personally? Because this is like the question that everyone asks about this big three. Mm-hmm. Who do you like the most out of that out of that crew? Uh,
3: yeah. If 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 everyone is healthy, I had it so prior to last year. I had it Manning, Scubel, dot dot dot. Mize. Yeah.
2: Big gap um,
3: there. I, yeah, I just, I, I think Mize will be okay. But what come what kind of concerns me about Mize is the splitter. We know that it could be a little bit volatile. Plus, Mize had injury issues in college, he had injury issues in the minors. And I don't know how long he can hold up through like an entire MLB season so that is why you know all those factors makes him third in my opinion
2: yeah I know Nick is just constantly hoping that Mize will throw a better and more uh consistent cutter because he doesn't trust the splitter to be a thing I actually am just realizing that we took two of the first four well I guess I I guess Patino kind of falls into that same group as uh Anderson and Sixto where they did pitch a little bit last year so we, we took two of the first six pitching prospects, which I would not have guessed knowing my own, you know, avoidance of risk. What do you, <laughs> what do you think of a uh, Patino? Like I, I'm, I'm, so I think the reason that I wanted him was because he was, he's 21 already close to the minors and there's, you know, the, the prospect reports are that we've got two to three major league pitches already at age 21 So I I think I just, Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I fall, I fall anytime, anytime there's a kid that's that advanced already and I'm old enough that 21 Mm -hmm. year olds are kids to me now. um, Anytime there's someone who's that advanced at that age, I, I'm just all over them.
3: Yeah. I, I love Patino. um, And I, I honestly think that him moving to Tampa Bay should kind of uh, honestly, like really help him. Uh, I, I don't think that he'll go, deep into games right because tampa will do that um, but if he only goes like five six innings especially like six innings uh with that electric stuff there could be uh, a lot of strikeouts maybe some wins opportunity like if he gets to the sixth inning and i just trust tampa uh kind of more than san diego um, from a wins perspective, because how they used him last year, it was more out of the bullpen, kind of maybe two or three innings at the beginning of the uh, beginning of the game, and then take him out. Um, so with Tampa, I think that they they will give him a chance to go a little bit longer.
2: So in this second batch of uh, rounds, this ra- rounds eleven to twenty that we're looking at now. I think the one pick that stood out to me the absolute most was Zach Veen lasting until the 17th round. And I'm very upset at myself for not noticing that sooner and snagging him sooner, because I love me a, you know, an elite hitting prospect that gets to play in cores. Um, And is, do you feel the same way? Or is there anyone else in this group of uh, rounds that sticks out to you?
3: Um. I am very anti Rockies oh. prospects. Um, <laughs> um, until the management and ownership changes, I am very anti Rockies prospects. I just can't deal with it anymore. Uh, believe me, I I love Sackvid, and, and while I was like, "Oh, he's in chorus," and I'm like, "Oh, he's a Rockies prospect," like it really just like really upset me. I love the talent, and I hope that he proves me wrong. I really do. I just can't do it anymore with Rockies guys i just can't
2: that is totally fair i have i have the fun like mental fight where i'm i'm like giving guys a boost when they're like a pitcher in cleveland or a pitcher in cincinnati or something but then i also yeah. want to ignore like the organizational issues in the bad franchises so that that's fun <laughs> that's that's probably bad <laughs>
3: Like again, I, I I hope that he proves me wrong because the Duke could really really hit. Yeah. I just just yeah.
2: Maybe maybe they'll find maybe the owner will sell the team in the next two three years.
3: I I oh, I really hope so, man.
2: <laughs> I do have a feeling that's why he fell so far though, right? Could
1: be. It's mostly just because of the doubts with the actual front office and the management there. I assume that's why he fell to the seventeenth. Yeah. Otherwise, I could see him going much sooner. Stock down on Vein and then stock up on. CJ Crown because he is over the age of 30 and he will likely get playing time.
3: <laughs> exactly.
2: So a, a really fun thing it, here in this moment is that I thought we might struggle for things to talk about and here we are 50 plus minutes in and we've made it halfway through the draft. So we're going to talk, <laughs> we're going to talk, uh, we're going to hit like one or two more quick topics and then wrap up. Um, All right. So one thing, uh, that I wanted to bring up, it's actually at the very start of the next group, the 21 to 30 range, where I got uh, double hometown boy sniped in round 21 and 22, where Pete Crow Armstrong got taken right before me in the 21st, and then on the swing back, Francisco Alvarez got took taken from me right right before the uh, right before we took former hometown boy Andres Jimenez, and. One of the reasons that I didn't take Francisco Alvarez sooner is because we already had both Adley Rutschman and Luis Campesano. So, how do you like? Are there particular prospect groups like uh, that you'll target or go on heavier than others? Like, do you avoid catchers or, you know, avoid pitchers or go after anything particular more aggressively?
3: Uh, well, yeah. Uh, yes. And no, Um, I typically try to get guys who are up the middle, obviously, like shortstop, field, stuff like that. Um, But there has been a really interesting prop of catching prospects um, that I've kind of like really like honed in on, Um, you know, uh, Francisco Alvarez. I have on many a dynasty league team, Luis Camposano. Um, Ivan Herrera, like there's a really interesting crop of catchers that I do think that could probably be better than the catchers that we're seeing now. I think that they can hit better, um, so I'm kind of interested to see, like in the next couple years, if the catching situation that is basically a wasteland right now can be a little bit better because I do think that there's a lot of interesting um, hitting catchers, um, so. I don't mind targeting some of the guys that I like there. And, you know, if a couple guys hit, like if Francisco Alvarez hits, Luis Campisano hits, um, Huberto uh, Jimenez hits, like all these other guys, um, I could probably like trade them away to get maybe a, a position that I need. Um, it, yeah, so I kind of, um, honestly, I have been kind of uh, stockpiling a lot of catchers that I like and pitchers that I like. And as soon as they, especially with pitchers, as soon as they start to pop off in the minor leagues, like they start to like just rack up a lot of like really good games, trade them because they will hurt you. (laughs) Trade them as at their highest point, which is in the minor leagues and then try to get someone else.
1: That's my exact favorite strategy to take with literally, I mean like just most players in general is just to try to sell high, especially when it comes to like catchers and relievers. Selling Emilio Pagan last year when he was the closer for about a week, week and a half, and getting Will Myers in return in the league was a nice sell high that netted me quite a few points and boosted me in the standings as the season went on. So that was fantastic. Yeah, definitely one of my favorite things to do. Yeah.
2: All right. I have one last question that is of the utmost import, and uh, this is in rounds 17 and 18. This is a board bet that Jordan and I have. And it's not really prospect-related, so I'm sorry for that. But between Austin Riley and J.D. Davis, who do you got?
3: J.D. Davis, 100%.
2: Thank you. And we're out. That's it. We're done.
1: (laughs) Uh, I feel like just because Shelly's on your side, that just means I automatically lose, right?
2: Yep. That's it. Board bet in my favor.
3: Yeah, I'm just... Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just not an Austin Riley fan. So, sorry, Jordan.
2: okay, I
1: understand. I was So, mostly, the way we bet on that was that, out of the five standard categories, who would finish higher in, like, three of the five categories. And I thought that, by sheer volume, Austin Riley would outmatch J.D. Davis in that regard, just, like, getting more counting stats, because I feel like he's got a clear path to playing time there at third base in Atlanta. But then they signed, I think it was Jake Lamb, who might take some reps from him now, so I feel a little bit less confident about that. I am hoping that he has a very good... (laughs) Spring training, so hopefully he remains the starter for most of the time. But uh, yeah, much less confident than, than I once was with that board bet. Yet, yeah, absolutely. Hecked. Just consider me uh, devastated <laughs> that Shelly just
2: crushed my dreams. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm so sorry.
2: <laughs> I think that's all we have. That's all we have. I mean, I, I could talk to Shelly about prospects all day, but that, that is, that is the, the amount of time that we will keep Shelly here for from her Adorable little pugs. Pugs? Poodle? Exactly. No, pugs. Frenchies. Frenchie? French
3: Frenchies. bulldogs, right. Yes.
1: All right, yeah, that's going to be it for us. Shelly, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, yeah. Once again, can you plug your socials and all of your shows and such for our listeners?
3: Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you guys for having me. This was, this was really great. Um, you can find me on Twitter at ShellyV underscore uh, 643. Um, and you can find me writing at Picture List and the Dynasty Guru.
1: Excellent, thank you, Shelley. And that's gonna be it for us again this week. If you wanna find us on social media, you can find us together at in the deep PL, or you can find Schwebzi at S-H-W-E-B-S-I, or myself at Bun Singles. And then be sure to follow us and stay up to date on when we're gonna be releasing new episodes. Schwebzi, send them out. Bye,
2: friends.